Thank you for joining us on our journey here to preserve the history of mixed martial arts. When I wanted to take on this project, I needed help. I brought in one of my favorite matchmakers, Miguel Iterate, and the MMA detective, Mike Davis. So to do this, we've been able to preserve history. Welcome and enjoy. Hey, Miguel Iterate, back here on the Lights Out podcast, and we are in deep dive territory. The MMA detective, Mike Davis, is with me, and we are joined by another jujitsu legend. We've recently interviewed Marcus Suarez and uh, Pedro Sauer. And how do you keep it going? How many guys are there at that level? And we found another one. We got another one. <laughs> Ricardo Laborio has joined us, American top team, uh, you know, head coach for a long time. That's how he came to be worldwide renowned. And, uh, you know, he's done a lot more than that. We're about to find out a lot more of that. How are you, Ricardo? I'm good, Miguel. Good to see you, brother. It's been a while. It's been a yes, while. It has. It has. And, uh, I'm let, I'm, I, everything's been great here, but I'm going to let the MMA detective take over because we got a lot of questions for you, buddy. <clears throat> Ricardo, yeah. Ricardo, I've got seven pages of questions. We're not going to get to all of them. Hey, my <laughs> gosh. I hope, I hope good then. Good stuff. Well, Interrogate. we're going to start with you worked at the Bank of Brazil, correct? Yeah. Correct. Okay. Is that the same bank that Pedro Sauer worked at? I, I guess it was. I'm not sure if Pedro worked at the Bank of Brazil. Bank of Brazil is the government bank in Brazil. It's the biggest bank in Brazil. It is like the, it's like the central bank here. Okay. You know, it's like a, you 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 apply for a government job and you go against you know brilliant guys that get the best scores and assistance. Those are the guys that get hired. And I study, uh, study my ass to, to try to get into this. Uh, remember, I was 18 years old for that. There's two preparations that people do. It is, it, it's different. The system there in Brazil, so at my time, it's called a vestibular. Vestibular is, is almost like the SATs or the FCATs. That it's different in America. They take the... the the, the median of a score and the GPAs from the whole entire academic history, and you and you apply for a good college. There is different. That means that you may suck during the you know your academic life, but you prepare when you're 17 years old, and the highest score gave you permission to go to the best schools. So I was a student for this, which is we call vestibular, and I was a student to pass on a Bank of Brazil. Uh, test or contest because is there would be thousands of people competing for very few spots on this thing but my father worked in a bank so i was kind of bound to follow the steps of the guy that he was really into the this was his love his love was working in the bank and and i at the time i started working 13 years old 13 years old you were able to apply to do whatever they call boys. Boys is the guys, is the kids that actually go there and serve coffee and, and, and make Xerox copies at the time. And it was, you know, get the Xerox copy, take 30 copies of this. And this is used to be my life with 13 years old. So I was bound to work in the bank. But it was a great connection with the corporate world. You know, it was a really good structure to dip in and something that was for the vast majority of the jiu-jitsu guys and, and the MMA guys, you know, they never had this idea, you know, this this understanding 
from A, B, and C, you know, that you, you need oxygen. You need money. You need them with oxygen. You got to generate oxygen so everybody has the, you know, the environment around, you know, the community. Otherwise, it doesn't work. So you have I was told, hold up, Miguel, hold on. I just have to follow up. So I was told that the Bank of Brazil at this time really frowned upon people that did jujitsu. Oh, man, it, it was a, <laughs> Mike, I'm telling you this, man. I, I was early in the days at the time before, it's just interesting that you're talking about this, before, before MMA. It, it was the Valley Tudor times, the transition to the Nohos Bar and transition to the MMA. Before there was basically nothing. That was the old days of the guys, you know, that you see it, that Helio Gracie and Carlson Gracie, you hear the stories about this. But when, when this is interesting, Mike, look at this. 1991, Carlson Gracie prepared a team of jiu-jitsu guys to compete against the Luta Lever guys. Okay. In 1991, and this is, was really the first time that jiu-jitsu got together against a common enemy, and Carlson was the general. And this is a big influence. Why? Number one is 1991. It was the first time that jiu-jitsu got together. Carlson was the head coach and the general of everything. Jiu-jitsu is fighting against a common enemy, which was the Luta Livre guys that end up being all, you know, friends. But at the time, that was a kind of war. And it was the first time that was televised national on prime time TV in Brazil. Imagine this. This is 9 o'clock at night, and you put something like the NBC, prime time when everybody's watching, and there was the volume too, though. And the guy's butt had any blood splashing everywhere. It was a craziness, craziness those are, to happen. Those are the famous fights that have appeared later on on the Gracie in action tapes. It may be. It may be. This and is the time that Waleed. really you just Walid, Ismail, Borillo Bustamante, uh, yeah. Yeah. Rugel. There, there was a bunch of jiu-jitsu guys that competed. But why this is what's so important. Number one is this. There was two transformations right there. For us, Carlson Gracie guy, that was the first time that jiu-jitsu got all together. So you have Marcelo Berry, Fabio Gurgel, uh, Roberto Traving, Castello Branco, jiu-jitsu guys that were competing against us, training under the roof in the same place. All of us all trained together. Everybody's there is helping to train together. This is one, one transformation. Number two is, look at this. This is how important it was, Mike. Carson Gracie team at the time, it was training at night. So we have all the guys that remember this, amateur guys, even although being high-level black belts at the time, all the guys that were training at night have a first job and a second job of, of being competitors. So they were not really 100% professionals. With this body to the thing, the training started to be start being at noon. This training at noon changed everything. Why? Because only professional guys could be at noon. Not the regular guy that goes training at night. What happened with this was really the separation in between 
who's going to be professional or who's not going to be professional. So this noon training that if you have a regular job, you couldn't do it unless you would do something like I did. And I'll tell you later about that. And I was, I was waking up five o'clock in the morning, doing my training seven o'clock in the morning, eating lunch inside the bathroom. So nobody, nobody can see me. And at my time to lunchtime, I was going to train with the guys. And I go back at night, you have the university at night and you, and you go train right after that. But very few people were doing this. Usually guys that were married or have careers that it was just a different thing. But this separation was very important. 1991 is very important. Two things. On primetime TV, jiu-jitsu beat Luta Livre. The reputation of jiu-jitsu exploded all over Brazil. Everybody, every kid, every teenager kid wanted to do jiu-jitsu after that. And every mother and father were horrified about the violence of jiu-jitsu, not jiu-jitsu, of the valitudo. Horrified. Everybody was like, what is this? This is human cockfighting. And for me especially, it was really bad because I was working in a bank and I was associated to jiu-jitsu. You know, and I will have aspirations to get a, a position there as a manager. And everybody there was, imagine this. It was like, it's like, I don't know, a, be part of a gang or be part of a, of a Hells Angels and you want, <laughs> and you want to be the manager, <laughs> but you're Hells Angels. How did that going to work? But, but we went through it, you know. Now this is a completely different world. But at the time, imagine this. Don't forget this. 1991, it was a big inspiration for 1993 UFCs. Yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. Now, yeah. how, how did you get to 1991? Were you a black belt by then? Take us no, to your no. path. How did you meet Carlson? I was, uh, 1991, I was a brown belt. I was okay. training with the guys, but I, but but the core team of Carlson was all training with the guys who was going to be doing Luta Livre. You're going to be fighting against the Luta Livre. Um, and Morello Bustamante is my brother, you know, he's, he's really, really good friend of mine until today. And I was really there helping him for the most part, because this is, this is a real, real brother to me. And I was in his corner when that happened. Um, I have to be there for Morello in a way I couldn't get involved in Valley Tudos. I couldn't get involved at all. Because of the reputation, I could lose my job. This is really, again, it was, guys, it's, a, it's one notch above the one I'm saying here right now. Right now, I'm speaking on something, but no, nah, there is, man, you're a criminal. What are you doing is criminal. You're human cock fighting. You installed violence that people couldn't understand, you know? How do you meet Carlson Gracie? How does the relationship start growing? Well, I met Carlson Gracie through the person who brought me into jiu-jitsu, which is end up being the Carlson Grace first red belt. His name is Carlos Rosado. So Rosado was the uncle on my first girlfriend. I went to a barbecue in his house at Shuhasco. This is what we call there on a Sunday. And he says, hey, man, you're short, stucky. I think, you know, I think she started training jiu-jitsu. And I was having curiosity every. I always liked. I always liked the the fight games. I was never a guy who fought in the streets and anything. But I always liked the fight game. And I, 
I have passion for, for judo and I have passion for boxing. I always watched at the Olympics. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe the only Brazilian guy that you're going to meet that never liked soccer. I really never was into soccer, man. But probably because I never played well. <laughs> never really. I never really liked this, the team. Uh, the, the team sports. Let's put it this way. I always liked the fights. So he took me over there. You got to go to Cross and Grace. I'm going to take you over there. This, this was in a Sunday. Monday I was there. But little did I know that I am from a neighborhood called Humaita. And Humaita is the neighborhood of the Gracie Humaita. And I found out later that it was six minutes walking from my place. <laughs> six minutes. You know, but I ended up in a Carlson Gracie and I, you know, from white, white belt to black belt, I went there. And, and you know, first, first training, I was already hooked. I was already, you know, I was already really interested in learning. I said, man, I'm not going to stop here until I'm black belt. And, and that's that's what happened. Carlson Gracie had a real interesting philosophy. And he would almost, I shouldn't say almost, he specifically targeted his own family members with certain people that he had trained. Was there issues in regards to that at some of the grappling tournaments based on his philosophy of competition? Oh, there was a lot of there was a lot of issues in terms. There was a competition. The competition it's it's most philosophical, Mike. And in a certain way, this is really what made the sport to grow, you know, in this in this pattern. Because in between them, they have an atrocious rivalry, but it was a healthy rivalry in a certain way. They will be able to compete ferociously against each other, but they, they sit down at the table afterwards. Does that make sense? There was yeah. really competition, and they prepare people to compete about it, but afterwards, it's, it's like what happened to... Um, it's like what happened when Luta Lever guys invaded the Gracie Umaita. You know, there was this beef against Hugo Duarte and... Hicks and, and Hicks and Gracie, and they went there. You know, some of the Lucha Libre guys went there, and after a phone call, the whole team of Carlson, the whole jiu-jitsu went there afterwards. You know, but Carlson was called first, and from the call, everybody was there. I remember there was I don't know 50, 60 people there that show up after after the guys got inside and, and they left, but the whole you know the whole crew comes in. When I try to say, the way I compare is this. The way I compare is this. The Gracies, in a certain way, they fight in between each other. But if you put something else over this, you put another dog inside right there, they're they going to get together to kill the dog and then continue fighting to get biting each other there. But nobody, that's exactly what it is. You know, it's almost like the jiu-jitsu part. You know, they fight with each other. But if you put somebody strange there, everybody got to... And, and gang up and that guy and then after that they continue biting you know love bites here and there that's most likely what it is so the whole, there was a rivalry and there was competition Carlson was extremely competitive but with everything he was extremely competitive with I don't know my cards little games but whatever it is there he was up to the test of competition he loved that so I think that reflect on on results in a certain way, you know? 
Definitely yes. did. Can I ask you, you said, uh, I, I don't want to mispronounce it, Umaita, the, the gym? Yes, Umaita. Uh, oh, okay, well, you, you say it better than me. <laughs> but uh, it, from there comes your future rival, Salo Ribeiro. No? Is, is, yeah, is it Salo? Yeah. Did, you did you ever run across him when he was young, when you were brown belts or, or purple belts or anything? Because, uh, or uh, is he younger than you? Where, where no, does he he's go? younger. Oh, he is okay. younger. Saul is younger. Um, no, I, I, Carlson was a uh, Carlson. Saul was a little younger. Okay. Um, so I didn't get that generation. He came from a different generation. He was it was a generation, um, but after us, you know. Okay. So okay. there is a little bit older guys. I think he's. I don't know if he's five years older, a younger, or six years younger, or something like this. Okay. You know? But I competed with him. I competed and I lost to him with him on the finals of the AGCC. Yeah, no, Michael Take is there. That's why I, I asked him just to yeah. see if you had run into him early. That's all I wanted to know. So, okay, take so it. you mentioned the dirty word, Luta Libre. Everyone, like on one side, like the Luta Libre guys, they're just so die hard in regards to where they came from, as well as the Jiu Jitsu guys. They're two very proud you know, factions of, of combat sports teams. What was your experience personally with the Luta Libre guys? Was there any camaraderie at all, or was it just enemies in the wild? Oh, no, Mike. Mike, I am – I always thought different, man. I never – I never fall into this, you know. I was there for, for everything because I trained with the high-level guys, but I am not – and I'm not that I'm not that kind of guy, you know, that's going to fight in the streets. And uh, it was never my thing. It was never with my thing. So I never had this rivalry to the heart and hating people because of this thing. No, I see this as a rivalry, as, as, as the rivals that I had in competition. And it, it's fine. We're going to compete and everything. Else. I always see this way. But it's not my my take is not what it really was. My take was a little my take is like. Because I think like I always did. I don't. I don't bring this hate for him. I just really don't, man. I, it never was me, you know. I never thought this way. I never act this way. It was just not me. That's not my take. But at, at the same time, I saw what it's happening. People are fighting in the streets. People are, made the know, news. I, it's like made the news. Made the news. And, but that. But that's also the younger generation. It, it was not, for example, the, you know, the main guys of Carlson Gracie, for example. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Well, Walid Ismail had this rivalry with the guys. You know, it really is. But I, like, let's say, for example, my group, me, Murillo, Bustamante, and some other guys there. But we didn't think this way. You know, at the I same time, we were competing. But, but let, let's stay right there where you said you said that your group. Let's talk about your group. You had, yeah, no, this group of people. That's really the generation that was with me: Bustamante, um, Scary, Fabel Duarte, uh, Luis Carlos Walwa, Walid Ismail. Uh, what well, there? There's more guys. I can't even think of it here right now. But there is a bunch of of of, of high level jujitsu guys. Let's put it this way. That was training from that. Some of those guys, some of those guys, like for older guys, 
one of the Valley Tudor came in, came up with a generation of Carlson Gracie students. Like, for example, Carlos Barreto is a little bit younger, and Victor Belfort is a little bit younger, Ricardo Rona younger, Olofido younger. You got a high level guys that came, you know, after that. So those guys are coming from jiu-jitsu, but they were training to fight Valetudo, especially because Valetudo had money. So, so was that the generation that may have been influenced by that TV program? Maybe, yes. That's a good point there, Mike. Maybe was. Okay. Those are those guys that were between 15, 16 years old, and now they're adults, and they really want to fight. You know, and they go from there. That's a good point right there. Yes, maybe that's the generation that got influenced by this fights that those guys had at the Luca Livre against uh, Jiu-Jitsu, for sure. Carlson was known for taking kids off the street and bringing them, them into his system. How was, what was the vetting process like? Because essentially you're taking some people from abject poverty that you have to trust and rely on and put them into a system that, it's going to be very foreign for them. Yeah. Carlson is being well-known in Brazil to be the Robin Hood of Jiu-Jitsu. If it wasn't for him, I don't think the poor kid would have a chance to, you know, to compete in a high level and see real aspirations to go in a higher level. Carlson took the guys from the street and was not really the, you know, it was really not destructed out of the money for him, you know, and it was not. Before this, jiu-jitsu was really taught by, you know, two aristocrats, people that have money that can pay the Gracie Academies and Carlson and also Hall's Gracie's too. It seems like Hall's had a big uh, factor of inspiration to a generation of guys there. You see, Alliance is the highest level team. It was inspired by Hall's through his student with Jacare. So I think those guys kind of popularized the sport, not just in competition, but also getting the masses on it, you know, masses that can't afford. And don't forget this, the jiu-jitsu until today is still a very expensive martial arts to practice. It is not like judo. It is not like wrestling. It is not like boxing. Those are those Olympic sports, like it or not, they have a different business model. Because the government fund many of the clubs and assets, you know, you got this from grants instead of guy from from tuitions. Let's put it this way. It's a different perspective. And in a certain way, jiu-jitsu was expensive in Brazil still. Practice in my time through in the South Zone of Rio, a lot is preeminent in the South Zone of Rio. And it was very linked to to surfing because uh, Halls Gracie and a lot of guys there, a lot of those good surfers that started practicing jiu-jitsu, guys that used to go to Hawaii and getting beat up, started going to jiu-jitsu and started beating up the guys that they used to beat up there in Hawaii. There's a bunch of stories like this. But Carlson itself was a guy who, you know, who brought to the masses. I consider him as a Robin Hood of jiu-jitsu. Wow. Wow. Um, were you at the first UFC in 1993? No, I wasn't there at the first, but I was there at the second. You know, I remember when uh, when uh, Victor fought. He fought first in Hawaii, and um, 
where was that man? I think it was I think it was when when was the Carlson or Carlson when Hoist fought the guy with the glove? Or Jimerson was UFC one. It was UFC one. Yeah. Was... UFC two was one of the most brutal ones where it was it was one of the most savage events ever in regards to combat sports. No, UFC I, two I was, was I was not I was not there, guys. I, maybe I was not there for for a couple months. I was one of the first ones, but I don't. I was not for sure. I was not there for the first one. But we were walls watching on on TV at TV at the time. I don't know how to, it was a VHS. Everybody was expecting the results to come in so we could actually see it. I don't even know how we can watch. There was no satellite or anything like that. Everything was on tape, I guess. Wow. I don't remember now, guys. I, Let me I really you. don't remember now how. Go ahead. Yeah, just, uh, you know, Hoist. It's still a little bit, you know, different side of the family at that point. The first guy, official Carlson guy, if I'm not mistaken, was Bitech, like UFC Bitech. 7 or 8. Yep. Were, were you with, with Omri Bitech? It, it was UFC 9 no, against Don Fry. Yeah, he fought Don Fry. No, I wasn't in the beginning. My question, my question is how – how do we actually was watching? I remember we were always watching the UFCs, but there was not, there was not, I don't think there is live transmission, do they? Did they have live transmission? It was on cable. It, it was on cable. Yeah. Yeah, there, there may have been ways to steal it to see it quick, or you may have seen it the day after. If there's a way to, to get a free UFC event, I think okay. the country of Brazil. Yeah. They, 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 they would probably find out from it. They I, could I figure that out. <laughs> we always get together to watch the UFCs, and everybody was cheering for Hoist. Everybody. There was no doubt about it, especially the reality is this. Would a Hoist have done it was something that probably opened the doors, not just for me, but for every Brazilian guy that can say that doing the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Mm -hmm. you know? And it's, believe me, Guys, what a hoist did was magical. What he really did was tremendously oh, yeah. magical because, because number one, hoist, hoist was not a popular guy in Brazil like Hickson was. Hoist, you know, hoist and Hoyler were really the two most popular guys in jiu jitsu in between the competitors because they were competing everything at the time and winning everything. So we see what Hickson was doing. We see what Hoyler was doing. But Hoist, average guy in a certain way. And he went there and he really met. He he fought against some really big, muscular, you know, specimens there. And what he did with Ken Shamrock, with Kimo, you know, with Kimo, Alexander, at Kimo, right? It was like, it, it was, it was fantastic. You know, what he did to introduce jiu-jitsu through that little skinny figure, man, it, it opened the doors for all of us. So I do have tremendous respect for that he's done it. I don't know if other people would do it the same. Even bigger guys would do the same. But he really mentally was there physically, technically. He was ahead of the time, at least for those guys there. He was, he was the guy. 
Yeah. Voice was the guy. You know? For sure. For sure. Joe Moriara. I'm saying something that everybody. I'm saying something that everybody knows. But from our perspective at the time, over there in Brazil, remember this. It was, you know, Hoysi was not Hickson. For all of us, Hickson was the guy. Hickson really was the guy. So how Hoysi is going to do it? Well, we don't know. You know, we're always expecting something. Something, anything can happen here. Because we knew had a lot of great guys there competing at the time, winning everything. So he did not surprise everybody, but he really did such a great job to anyone that discard what he had done. It, you know, it's not being fair to him. Okay. Okay. So you, you mentioned Hickson, him being the man. I don't think, I don't think anybody disputes that except your teacher, Carlson Gracie. He went on record publicly stating that you were the greatest grappler ever. Oh, and that no. you would beat Hickson had you guys ever went against each other. No, man, I don't think so. And, no. and I don't think it was going to be like that. No, I always, I always say that, first of all, Hickson really, for me, Hickson, I saw Hickson competing, you know, and I saw him going with the best of the best at the time. Guys that I used to train, you know, I, got, I am the different generation as him. I think we could get him in a, in a great competition, but I think this guy was ahead of his game. I really think that imagine, imagine a guy who mixed talents and, and the prime technique and he's doing everything that's supposed to be doing to be the, the best of the best, you know? So I don't know what, what Carson said. Carson, Carlson. <laughs> Carson likes us. He likes to steer the pot. He likes to steer the pot, but everything. Hey. You know, he really wants to see the competition. Yeah. And that's that's what it yeah, is. That's true. Absolutely. And, you know, if he wants a competition, he also said, Hickson can start mounted on Mario Sperry, and Mario Sperry would still win. You know, but it's just part of the game. Yeah, you know, that, that's the game. That's the game. That's the game. Yeah, that's what it for is. Sure. Yeah, for sure. I, I, what is going to be what it, what it was, it's just all... Oh, you know how it is. This is all game around, yeah, you know. For sure. And at the same time, we're from different generations. I don't know, but I think he is eight years older than me or nine years older than me, something like this, which would be, you know, would be a different thing. This guy was a black double way before I was. When I got there, he was already moving to the United States. So I don't think it would it would happen. Right. You know? But that's it. Well, Moriera, that's awesome. That's Carlson, mm -hmm. right. So Joe Moriari used to have grappling tournaments in Southern California. And one of the rumored matches was that they were trying to put together was you and Hegan Machado. Is that true? I never heard of that. Okay. Maybe they, yeah, maybe that was in the scrap there, but I never got an offer or anything like that. Okay. In 1999, the second ADCC, and, and you know, Ricardo, all of the research I've done is to either say, yes, it happened. No, it didn't. My questions, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the answers to. It's just things yeah. that I've pulled from either online or conversations that I've had with people in regards to you, yourself. It's just so fine, man. It's all fine. I know how it is. I want to sneak in a question. That you, mentioned, you mentioned that, you know, with respect to Hickson, that you know you respected him that you had seen him compete 
And now Mike mentions Egan yeah. Machado, and that that's kind of one of those jujitsu matches. I assume you were there, Egan against Hickson. Can you tell us about that yeah. day, that match? No, I wasn't that in that competition, but I really, I really heard the results. Regan was really, you know, really, Regan was really good, and really offered a lot of the best of the resistance to Hickson that Hickson had at the time. Don't forget, those guys are cousins, right? Yeah. In a certain way, they're cousins. They're, they're from the same family. So Hickson was open for any challenges, and he, you know. Actually, Regan did pretty well in the first minutes of the fight, and after that, he reversed for, for submission. And I don't know. I really wish that I was there too, but that's something that goes to the legends. A lot of people talking that this is, was really one of the best matches that Hickson ever had. This and Sergio Pena. Okay. Okay, yeah. Sergio Pena was another guy too that was winning the match until the last minutes, and Hickson was able to, to pull the victory. So in 1999, you compete your first ADCC event. Um, did you, how did you, Miguel? You weren't one of the people that were help coordinating that. Am I correct? 99, yeah, I was there. So uh, how how does Ricardo come onto your radar? Oh, you know, at this point, every category has several jujitsu guys. And it, it, as you can see in the early years, you know, Mario was there. Mario at this point may or may not be recommending Ricardo, but it sort of was the same team. And they, they invited teams. They invited groups, you know. Um, I believe you guys also, uh, you know, had uh, uh, Crezio D'Souza was there with you. Yeah. And there were a few, you know, of your Bebel Duarte competed one year, even though he may also have been older at some point. But this was the first wave of the top guys, I think, you know, Barreto, this was Carlson's A team coming to Abu Dhabi the yeah. first time. So Ricardo, did, who, who was your roommate for this event? My roommate was Morello, probably. Morello always was, yeah. Morello, I left with Morello for five years. This guy was my really, my real roommate. When I got out of the house, I lived with some of my friends in Copacabana. And after that, I moved with Morello, who is really one of my best friends. And still to today. Um, I think Miguel, I think was I think it was a Sperry who recommended. I think it was. Okay. You know? I remember at the time my weight, my weight never was, I think it was 80, 80 kilos, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. Right? 88, yeah. Yeah, 88 kilos. I remember because I was the lighter guy. I was 82 kilos. And I always was and that average 82 tops 85 kilos i never was a, a big guy on it so i have to you know there was no there was no diet restriction whatsoever on that thing for me <laughs> remember i didn't have to cut weight i have to gain weight to actually compete on that on the 88 kilos there so akihiro you know. gono was your first opponent was it yeah mike i am Terrible. My memory is the worst, man. I am. I. I think I have Alzheimer's or something like this. I really don't remember things like that. But but Gono, I remember competing with Gono, and Gono was a. It was it was a good match. He was a good fight. He was very entertaining. Gono always was an entertaining guy. Yeah, let me ask you a little bit about mindset, though, because Abu Dhabi, 
now in 99, you know, how long had it been since you actually, you competed? I know that, you know, at some point you're teaching and things, but like how long had it been since you competed? And did that maybe affect you a little bit? Because that's a long time, I think. Yeah. I think there is, there is a time there for me. I competed in 96, 97, 98. I had to, I, I went back to school. I went to school, not just to finish college itself, but I went back to school so, so I could get a, a promotion on the job. I was applying for management. So I have to show that, that I was doing some sort of a master's degree of what we call the pause graduation. So I have to be, I have to, I have to be in school. Mm -hmm. you know? So I started doing this for quite a while and I, and I really, you know, I took away it a little bit. That's when Carlson was calling me all the time. You got to come back, man. You got to come back. You know, you got to come back to train. And at the time I was working in a bank. That was, uh, I remember the time I was working in a bank. I was just visiting a client and I, and Carlson called me to have a, have lunch. And he said, man, you got to come back to train, man. You can't keep doing this here right now. That's what the time was 97, 98, something like this. And, and I was between, you know, what I'm going to do, man, really is it, it, this was even interesting because at one point there right now, I left the job. I left the bank of Brazil. I left my job. I was so unhappy working in a corporate world, working in banking. And I had to have to make a decision. And I remember everybody was, man, you were not, you, I remember, imagine this on a site. My father was, a, he, he retires as superintendent of a bank. I, I was going to the school. I did business administration. Now I'm doing a, you know, trying to get a post-graduation together. But the corporate world was terrible to me. I really did not enjoy being around um, fakeness, if it, if it makes sense. You know, I was I was raised in an environment. If you don't like something, you say something and you, you know, you, you discuss the things right there. You know what I'm saying? You're in a fight environment. You know, there is there is some there is some sort of a truthness on, on this. You know, if you don't like it, you don't like it. Go, let's go train. Let's go. Let's go fight. And, you know, you resolve the problem right there. And it's OK. You know, it's more noble. And. I was around bankers and everything, man. It was <laughs> so, everything. It was so. Carlson calls you, says, "Please stop earning money and making a living, and come to jujitsu." <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, but he right? always like this. The guys, the guys need training, and I and I was always one of the guys that said, "Hey, man, if he, which I agree with him, you got to understand this." When you're not competing, you gotta be there to help somebody, man. You gotta be there to help your teammates. And I always had this idea, man. I gotta be there at least for, for the guys who are going to compete. Otherwise, what are you gonna do? You, just, you can't be good at just doing katas in front of the mirror. You know what I'm saying? You gonna you gonna have to sweat your ass and you go over there and you just you know beat the shit out of each other. And that's how you 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 earn. It's just how you you get better. Hard training. And the guys need teammates, and, you know, I was one of the guys there. This is the time that I said, okay, you know what, I, I can't do this anymore. And I say, you know, I I took a plan there in the Bank of Brazil, and I left the Bank of Brazil, and and that was it. That was history for me. How mad was your father? Thought it was crazy. How oh mad was God. your father? That's, yeah, that's, 
<laughs> hey, he was a good guy. So he said, man, do what you, you know, do, do whatever your, you know, your life tells you and what you're going to be happy at it. But it was a very difficult decision. It really was. It was a difficult decision, not just because the family pressure itself, but also, you know, what's, what's the career from there? Imagine in 1999, 1999, and you dropping off a corporate world, with making real money, you know, <laughs> I was making six figures at the time. You're dropping everything to, to work in jujitsu. <laughs> you know? yeah. Everybody you can't fake it. You can't oh, fake you it. Nuts. You are a nut job. You're crazy. Yeah. But I would never, I would never be good. I would never be great at something. You know what I'm saying? I could be great at jujitsu or great in being a coach or great. I know I'm an accent in the jiu-jitsu community, in an industry that we have it, you know, I have a better understanding than a lot of people because of the corporate world, you can understand a little bit. But I would never be great in banking. No, ever. I, because I hate it. If you hate something, you can never be great at it. No. You know? No. That's it. No. And, and, no. I, and I did. It is what it is, you know? Yeah. I can't, so, it's one of the best decisions that I have done in my life. For sure. The whole life. One of the best things I've ever done, it was really leaving that site to do what I really, pursue what I love. So the 1999 ADCC is, is incredible. You, you beat the Magic Man from Garbaca Gym, Akira Gono, 5-0. You'll go up against Luis Orlando. You beat him 16-0. I mean, that was a spanking. And then you run into Belarusian wrestler, one of the greatest wrestlers even to ever compete in ADCC, Sasha Savko. Um, Sasha, oh, Sasha, Sasha, Sasha yeah. Savko. He's famous for, for passing away in 2004, training for the 2004 Olympics, but he's an absolute savage and he outpoints you. Yeah, that's it. At the time, and Miguel knows this, at the time, you did not need to be engaged. At the time, they even changed the rules at the time. You can't get out of the guard, and you move back. You can move back, and it just just simply disengage on the same. You know, I think they changed the rules after that that you cannot do more than two steps back. But two steps back, I will be okay. But when you start really just moving out, moving out, moving out, you can't. You, it's nothing you can do about it. It's just hard. It's hard to engage. You know, but it's not an excuse. It is what it is. It's the rules. You know, they played the good game. You know, savvy guy, smart, and it is what it is, you know. Yeah, no, so, Sasha Stavko was he's an Olympic gold medalist. He was trying out for the Olympics, but he had been there and been to the top yes. already. You know, this is the yes. cream of the crop of Russian yes. wrestling, you know. Yeah. So um, and you're right, this is something we've talked about in other podcasts. In early Abu Dhabi, we will never see this again, but in early Abu Dhabi, like you could run into like a Mark Kerr. You know, Mark Kerr didn't yeah. know jiu-jitsu or, or anything like that. So now it was a real clash of styles. Sasha Savko, Kareem Barklev. They had guys. They were, were Joey Gilbert. Yeah. They made for some very interesting matches and stuff. And uh, yeah, that yeah, was the cream of the crop. Well, that's it. At highest level. But, but it, it is what it is, guys. There is the difference between... Wrestling doesn't have submissions. Jiu-Jitsu does have submissions, you know. Very, very few Jiu-Jitsu guys knew it at that time, wrestling. 
But forget this. Brazil has a culture of judo, but never had a culture of wrestling. So wrestling in, in Brazil at that time really was as low as it could be, I guess. I guess, you know, it's, it's enough for me to tell you that I don't have information about wrestling at that time, you know, as it is in today. Today, I'm telling you this. Today, those guys are really invested in wrestling. All this because of all this because of the UFCs and MMAs and people have to have to learn. This is a great transformation, guys. A great transformation. I actually after 1991 and jumping again, the biggest the biggest wake up call was to see the conditioning of the Olympians. Yeah, don't forget this. In the beginning, you have, oh, those guys have jiu-jitsu. They know we're doing it. But the Olympians, the judo Olympians, the wrestlers, the, those guys had a condition that no one, there was no jiu-jitsu guys that had it. None. Like Alex Davis. Yeah. Uh, in strength and in stamina. I'm telling you guys. And all do the conditioning itself. This is what's incorporated into the jiu-jitsu world way after way after because of the volitudos at the time because of the clash of the styles that you could see the difference of 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 a conditioning of the guy well, what are those guys are doing and those guys are so strong those guys are so fast you know and that changed everything for conditioning but even at the time you get an olympian get an olympian wrestler and you put a jiu-jitsu guy it's not that it is today i'm telling you this today mm. a jiu-jitsu guy a Gordon Ryan can go against a, a high level, high level wrestler, and toe to toe compete with the conditioning. At okay. that my time, it wasn't like this. Right, so it wasn't like this at Alex all. Alex Davis, so, somebody you may have ran into, you know, growing up in Brazil, was an Olympian, yeah. uh, judo Olympian as well. Used to kind of go back and forth with with jujitsu as well. But at this ADCC in nineteen ninety nine. High and Gracie and Ensign anyway almost get into a fist fight. Do you remember this incident? No, I didn't. I did not know this. When was that? It was in 99. Yes, we, we actually, in our interview with Ensign anyway, he said that everybody was almost put in prison. It was like a three-month sentence for throwing punches, and it got ugly. But at the end of the day, you battle his brother Egan. You take a, you take a bronze at the highest of levels and grappling in the entire world. Yeah. Pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, after yeah. a year off. I compete against Egan. Yes. 3-0. Yeah, you won. Go ahead. The, I the compete against money. Ian. What, uh, what year was that I compete against Ian? Mike, you probably know it's better than I do. 1999. 1999. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I... I lost one to him and I beat him one. I don't know. Something like this, right? Or there's or just only one. You beat him 3-0, and then I believe you see him again in 2001. That's yeah. it. That's his in 2001. That was a 2001 that was it, that he beat me, you know. But Egan, I have a story with Egan, man. Egan, um, Egan was competing in jiu-jitsu world championships in Brazil as a purple belt. And I was arriving there in a, in a taxi, and I was just got right there. And Egan, 
and the tax driver is trying to charge him like a two hundred dollars or something like this for the ride. And and I arrive at the same time, and I remember Egan from from the time is in Japan. So the guy tried to rob this guy, you know, and I was there. I knew my you know few English words, and I say, yeah, no, I got it. So it was not two hundred. So I kind of I kind of <laughs> put the taxi driver in his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> and and I save Egan from being robbed right there by the taxi driver. And he talks about this. He always sent me a message. He always thanked me so much. This is was 1997, I guess, or something like this. And he was in Brazil by himself with a with another American guy. So I always I always like Egan and his posture and his demeanor and all. I think he's a great example. This guy is this guy is awesome. Until today, I still have contact with him you also trained hector lombard while coaching at the american top team uh, how would you describe that experience hector is a beast that's it hector is a beast hector hector has so much talent and is so ferocious and you know he can jump from the the sweetest guy in the world to be the most dangerous man in the room all that you know it's really hard he gets in a mode and the mode that he gets sometimes is like okay I, I have to survive it comes to the days that he has to fight for meat and this is the tell the story that he tells is exactly that he got to fight for the meat for the f stories that goes to okay the first team in Cuba that has the right to eat the meat on a cafeteria the other guys don't. They stick with the eggs. And for you, the best incentive for you to go is like, man, I you want to be the first, the number one, so he can eat the meat. So for him, is it comes back with something there that tricks that that craziness that he is man, Hector can or Hector can be anyone in a good day, man. I'm telling you this right now. Hector is a monster. I'm telling you this. He is really he's a ferocious fighter. It's it's crazy. Dealing with him is hard, but it's a raw talent, you know. A lot of you see a lot of craziness in the room, man. A lot of craziness. I have seen some of the the best and the worst in the room. I'm telling you that. Yes. Yeah. They they said that he was uh, either really liked or really unliked at ATT uh, because of his ferocity and training. There was reportedly a barbecue that took place when he lost to Tim Boach in the UFC, <laughs> thrown by people from the American Top Team. I don't know, Mike. You have better, you have a better ends than I do, man. I'm telling you this right now. You do have it. Okay, but what about, I'll tell you this. I, I have he, a question. He can be. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Together. I just wanted to jump in because we we have a couple of tie-ins to the Nagara brothers. You mentioned also. Um, uh, you know, Olympic level, you know, the Nagara brothers were one of the first to go to Cuba and box with their Olympians and stuff like that. Why don't you talk about their influence as well? Well, let me tell you about the Nogara brothers. The Nogara brothers, um, when I met the guys, I met the boys, they were blue belts. They were in a state of Bahia, which is a state of Brazil. And my brother was living there at the time. This is, I'm talking about 1993, 1994, 
1995 or something like this, I remember going there to visit my brother and I met Rogério and Rodrigo, which is, were really a kid, a kid. So it was, a, I guess, teenagers, 18, 19 years old at the time. And I remember it, that's when we invited them to go to Rio for the first time. And they stayed in my house. So Rodrigo stayed, Rodrigo and Rogério stayed in my house as a blue belt to compete in the nationals. Wow. And, and, and we stayed there, we started hanging out. It's really interesting, right? From there. Rodrigo turns and going back to Cuba, Rogério really was the boxer. The younger brother, Rogério, it was a real good boxer, guys. Rodrigo was good. And Rodrigo has a high-level jiu-jitsu, the, the heavyweight. But Rogério had a very technical boxing. I'm telling you this, guys. This guy, it's not for nothing that he took silver medalist. I think he was a silver medalist on the Pan American Games in boxing for Brazil. He, yeah, he was a high-level boxer. But he always was into the boxing and the drilling and the, the training. It's, it's, it's very interesting because, Mike, I never said, but both of you, Mike and Miguel, I never saw someone with better mindset than Rodrigo Nogueira. I'm telling you something. There is a, there is a, there is a level in a room of, of his skills. Rodrigo is the kind of guy that you, you don't see Rodrigo smashing everybody around. You know, he was being tapped here. He was being tapped there by guys that you, you know, you think is an average guy. But the two things, the two things that really stand out in Rodrigo. Number one, he trained for hours. I mean, he trained for three hours. Imagine three hours training. But but I'm talking about it's not three hours a year. No, it's three hours of really rolling with people when doing this and doing the drilling is a constant. It was something that was very it's the, the amount of time was it was tremendous. It was beautiful. Wow. Yeah. Three hours, something like this. Wow, man. When everybody's stopping this guy, we're there. You know, boom, boom, training, training, training. Number two is this guy performance during competition, it is a tenfold jump. A tenfold jump. You got this guy. Guys, I prepare him against Mark Coleman. Do you remember when he fought Mark Coleman? Oh, of course. I'm telling you this. I can say that I was even worried. I was worried because we got guys there is not in his level, even in training. But those guys are doing better with him in training. But his mindset it's so amazing that he's able, like this guy was always like, he was, he's able to take here and in competition, he grows, but he grows. It's not, it's not just, to, it's not that he keeps himself like a tractor. You know, the, the guy who was a tractor that he goes like this and a guy started with a Ferrari. And after, after the second, third minute, you know, the tractor is still there, still there was the Ferrari loses the stamina, right? This guy, he gains, you know what I mean, he gains volume. He train is here. He goes to compete and he's here. It's, it's God, I'm telling you, this, it's fantastic. It, it's hard to see. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you can understand exactly what I'm saying, 
yeah. in training. This guy is not the same. Ding training, he is a five. He goes to competition, this guy is a ten. They say that about Clay Guida as well. Same thing. Yeah, they perform better on the really? side. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's incredible. I, I, I see what the thing I've been around him when he's competing too. And it is just like a day in the park for him. It's not like he's worried or like, oh my God, I gotta compete, or you know, even nothing bothers him. Nothing bothers him at all on the day of the fight. So like, uh, you know, it's amazing to see. Like sometimes, you know, he forgets his belt, like you know, I heard a story where he forgot a bag with $250,000 in it. You know, he's like, yeah, you know, I don't care. He's very, very even. Yeah. It's a, There's something special there. I'm telling you this. There's so many stories about that, Nogueira. Nogueira missed more flights than anyone that I know. Anyone. <laughs> I, have story, I, have story, I have a story about this. Look at this. I took him to train. Muay Thai, uh, with some of our Muay Thai coaches there, you know, Luis Alves. Luis Alves used to be our coach, and I took Rodrigo for the first time over there. So um, I actually waiting for Rodrigo at the place, and he calls me and says, hey, coach, I am, um, I'm, I just got here at the airport, you know, and I'm, I'm on my way there. So, okay, so the airport. It takes one hour to get where it is. So he was one hour late. He came from flight. Three hours late, this guy comes in. Nobody's at the gym anymore. Now, I have a dinner with the guy, with, with the guys around the gym, but nobody, the gym is closed. And he shows up. And I said, man, you nuts. What you, you see the one hour, he's taking one hour to the airport. We're here. What he was at the airport at the other state. He was at the airport at Bahia flying into Rio to come to the training. <laughs> Insane. So when Miguel said that, he was it's something out of there. You know, there's something out of it. Although he's an extremely intelligent, intelligent guy. He really is. You speak with him. He got content. He got arguments. He got, but he just don't care about anything, man. He just, it's just like, uh, it's, it is oh, what forgot, it is, man. Yeah, forgot to tell you, I wasn't in Rio. <laughs> yeah, I forgot to tell you. I think one of your accomplishments that I believe gets most overlooked in 2005, ABCC, for the first time ever, they have a women's division. Um, so they have two weight classes and obviously an absolute. And you have Juliana Borges. Juliana Borges, that's a, who yeah. was, yeah, I mean, I know, she, I think she was a high level wrestler and she yeah. really made a name for herself. Yeah. And watching yeah. you coach her through that tournament, the amount of confidence that you had in her was just incredible. That's another special person right there. Mike, Juliana has a discipline of the champions. The discipline of the champions. It, she was one of the people that I that took more belief in what I was saying with my experience of coaching people and going and performance, high performance. And she was doing absolutely everything. Again, she was a good wrestler. She did not have a background in jiu-jitsu like we, you know, we expected. But this, this girl, she was doing everything that we asked her to do. Everything. Juliana, I remember we had a train 7 o'clock in the morning. I said, Juliana, you got to be here 7 o'clock in the morning because we're going to drill for one hour. Man, there was not a day that she wasn't there. Not a day. 
not a day, seven o'clock in the morning. She was there at 6.30, you know? And the conditioning, she never skipped. There's no excuses. Not for nothing that she was a champion. It's a good, Mike, this is a great memory, man. I don't remember those things. I'm telling you this right now. I'm really bad. I, I think I coached so many people that I don't remember some. And Juliana really was, was a great fit, right? He, she, she was one of the first females to win uh, Abu Dhabi. She, and I, she belongs in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. She was one of the first ones. She's the first. Yep. That's true. And, yeah. and she was absolutely, and she deserved it. She's, she's an amazing human being, Mike. For me, at this stage of my life, too, um, I don't want to, you know, look like a philosopher or anything like that, but it's not just about results for me, man. I, I think if people have to contribute in this life with not just with positions and accolades and awards, you, you got to do something for the community itself. And she was amazing. She was a great inspiration. You know, thank you for reminding me of that. I, I forgot. Yeah, no, she's, true. she's special. You know, I was talking about helping the community. October 10, 2004, uh, former world champion Fernando Augusto de Silva Terre was on an airplane <laughs> and it had to get rerouted. <laughs> Got into a fist fight on the airplane. It was a little maybe overserved, and you had to get involved. Oh. Yeah. Mike, how do you know those days, Mike? Yeah. It's the, what year was that? What year? 2004. 2004. Do you know that they had a movie about him in Brazil? No. no. They just launched this just launched a movie about Terere in Brazil. And actually they don't talk about this. But you're right about this. He flew in in Miami and he was arrested. And one of the one of the correctional officers at that facility called me. He said, "Laborio, I have a jiu-jitsu guy here. You know, he just got he went crazy." And um, I think, like you say, you got a little bit well served. They was I don't know drunk. I don't know what it happens exactly there. And they reroute the airplane and brought him back in, and he is yes. arrested here. Yeah, he's arrested here <laughs> under under this. Big scrutiny because remember at the time, guys, 2001, we have you have the 9 11 attacks, you know, and what's no, when, yeah. when, when we have the 2001, the, yeah, my god, so 2004, something like this happened, people thought he was a terrorist. So I was able to find the lawyer and went there with him and then. And I talked to him and I talked to the other guys there. Um, and I kept good, you know, good guidance for him. And if we got the lawyer, the lawyer take him out of the position. That's what it is. But that was a very inside information, Mike. I'm gonna tell you this right now. I think I didn't even remember the year. I, I have I have stories like this in terms of fighters getting in trouble, and I gotta pull those guys out of jail, man, by a bunch. I'm gonna tell you this. Many other guys. Well, many other guys. I'll tell you this. What I explain when people ask me about you as a coach, I talk about that, but I said more importantly, guys like you and Alex Davis could translate. So anybody that got in trouble would always have to, like, the honest to God truth would always have to pass through you. <laughs> there was no lying yeah. or trying to hide because you yeah. would have to translate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Oh, man. I have wives calling me. I have girlfriends <laughs> knocking on my door. You know, it, I have so many other stories that <laughs> uh, things that I can't even say. You know, <laughs> big old chick. Remember this? Pride Bushido 14. It was November 5th, 2006. You're in Japan. You're cornering Hector Lombard. Right. He's the alternate fight for the tournament. He loses to Gegard Mousasi. You see Marco Soares there cornering Dennis Kang. So you help out. You jump in the corner with Marco Soares to help him with Dennis Kang. Dennis right. Kang beats Akihiro Gono, somebody yeah. that you fought in 99 in Abu Dhabi. He then tears his bicep. Um, where you guys you taped him up in the locker room. Yeah. Paolo Filo's in the tournament. He arm bars Kazumisaki and then says, I hurt my knee, even though he leaves the ring without any limping. Wanderlei Silva publicly said he lied to get out of the tournament. But instead of putting Gegard Musasi in, they throw Kazu Misaki, another Gravaka gym member. Mm. Our belief is that they knew Dennis Kang was injured. They tell Gegard Musasi to sit, sit on the side, and they kind of play games with the opponent. Do you remember this at all? Mm, no, I don't remember. I don't remember when. Uh, I remember Musasi and, and Filio. Filio got hurt. That's something that at the time right now, I think... I think Dennis Kink was already an American top team, if I'm not wrong. He did a camp over there. I think you're right. And he would bring Marco Soros in just out of respect. That's it. Yes, yes, yes. You are correct. That's it. That's it. So we're there with uh, with Dennis. And Paulo got hurt. But it, it is what it is. For me, it was even better. I even actually told him, remind, at the time, I told Dennis Kang that I would prefer not be in a corner with him because if Paulo Filho was, was my students, I really preferred not to be in a corner. I would be emotionally involved. And Dennis was fine with us. You know, he was always, especially at the time, he, he couldn't understand. Paulo was used to be one of my guys. And I say, man, if you go fight with Paulo, I can't be in your corner. We have a bunch of other guys here and all the coaches were coaching from then. He was like, no, it's not a problem. Marcos is there. I, you know, I'll be fine. Dennis can't rip his biceps and he tape it up. That's yes, correct about this. Um, I don't know really what happened, but I remember that another Japanese guy came to the finals with him. And that was, you know, that was, it was a little bit suspicious at the time. It was supposed to be somebody else. Like you said, Musashi and Hector fought, right? And Musashi beat Hector. Yeah. And, and Musashi beat Hector. That's what and it was. Paulo Filo beat uh, Kazu. So Kazu should have been out. Our conspiracy theory is that the Japanese people yeah. saw that Kang was injured and they wanted to keep the belt in Japan. Uh, yeah, it's a possibility too. You know, it's this is the this is Mike, this is the game. We, you know, we're being around for a while. You can't ask for you, Mike, you Miguel. You know, in the end, for the corporate world of the industry, they, they wanna they wanna keep people tuned in. It is the buck. It is not the owner. 
It is not a qualification. This is a blueprint to making money. So for them to do something like this, it would not be a surprise. I don't, I don't, I really don't think so. You know, I don't, I think even actually nowadays there is more fairness on a game of MMA that was fairness in a game of Valitudo in many places. You know, we have seen crazy stuff. We have seen, we have seen guys go over there and fight and do not get paid and, you know, People leave at the time, or you see fighters that is there, made everything, spend the money for camps, and he gets there, and this guy just canceled the event on the day of the event, and you don't see it. Miguel knows what is we're talking about this because Miguel was part of the Shuto crew at the time in in, in the United States, and we travel, Miguel, we travel everywhere. There was a Shuto event in every state. Every state, man, every weekend, that was something that I still mentioned to my guys. I've been part of the circuit for quite a while, and people don't understand the coaching side of it. And I don't want to get away from the question of Japan and everything, but look at this. Even Japan, yes, the circuit in America, or UFCs or other events, you travel on Wednesday and you help the fighter cut weight on Thursday, and you weigh in on Friday, and you fight on Saturday, and you're lucky if you come back on Sunday. So half of the week, you're out of house. You know, I've been doing this for the time of a Brazilian top team, or even before that, you know, so traveling around the globe in, in travels like this, Japan, you got to go earlier because of the, of the jet lag, and you got accustomed to the environment and everything else, you probably go a week earlier or five days earlier to get used to it. It wears out on not just your new, but the family too. You know, there's a lot into this. And, and when you see promoters that are curious about what the sport is and they'll have this consideration for, for what are the fighter have lived, what are the coaches have lived, you know, the families there is involved, man. It's just, you know, as far as the game, I know it's bullshit. You know, it's bullshit. There is so it's much more game. into this that yeah. we don't see it. You know, yeah. But but I think now now the regulations, Mike, with with the federation, the MMA federations, the boxing commissions, kind of regulate way more than it was at the time that me and Miguel was in it. You know, where there was no, there's no nothing. That was the beginning of everything. You know, yeah. it, it it was the Valitudos. It was a no holds barred. It was not MMA as a sport. You know. So Ed, it's just you mentioned. Chance. You mentioned Shudo. Yeah, and you traveled quite a bit. November twentieth, two thousand four. You came to the Chicagoland area, Ironheart Crown. You had Jay Z versus Barpelzuski, and yeah. Tiago Alves versus Jason Chambers. And it was. Uh, I'm just going to be very honest with you. You American yeah. top team guys at this time, you all had your jumpsuits on. You guys would come and you would get promoters just to go, okay, you don't have to pay our flight. You don't even have to pay our guys. And you guys would go in there and you would murder ticket sellers. You guys killed more ticket sellers in, in places yeah. across the country than anybody else. That's true. That's true because, look, when I came from Brazil, a top team, and let's go back to the 1991. Why? I stick with MMA or Valitude at the time because I was part of a process learning from the best. I learned from Carlson Gracie, man. 
you know, as an inspiration to see him working with the 1991 guys. And after that, following them around to see those guys in a circuit, a circuit that was not really created. That was something in Japan and something if that started popping up. Remember, that was the time of the volley tunes, even before you really UFCs. It was pop, pop, pay good money. It took a lot of those guys from jiu-jitsu to volley tuno at the time. I could not fight, especially because I was working for Bank of Brazil. Now, forget this. Remember, that was the bad, the whole bad audience on it. If you fight volley tuno, you're a criminal. It's almost like, doing something like this in Brazil. It was the human cockfighting, whatever it is there. So I learned a lot. When the Brazilian top team was created, we have a lot of knowledge of how to train fighters or dealing with fighters. It's not talking about just periodization of a training and installation of the techniques and the drilling of it, you know, and cutting weight. It's not just that. I'm talking about dealing with the daily basis human, which is the hardest thing. It's really hard. You guys promote events you know how it is you know imagine if in a promotion of the event is already hard imagine during the whole entire camp there is a huge but you know people are vulnerable when they're fighting or with the anxiety of fighting you know that's why the coach has to come in much more than just a technician it's not everybody mentally stable enough a lot of ups and downs and people from ups and downs take you know take other you know drugs and supplements to stabilize things you know to feed to feel this way or that way anyway now you you've got to deal with the human that's maybe one of the hardest parts is dealing with the fears the anxieties the sadness the happiness and all this whole people are too happy sometimes they start doing shit they started going out and drinking a famous when they see it they caught up in something that that was going to destroy their careers I'm sorry to say this right now. Now, going going back a little bit, Mike. Um, we knew it while we were doing it. American Top Team when it was created, it was a baby whale. I came from Brazilian Top Team, and we, we had this idea of of a creating. I knew if I had a proposal to go to Japan, yes. actually. I had a proposal to move to Japan and move into Japan. Um, uh, I wanted to learn English because there was only one guy speaking English at the time, which is Sperry. And I say, I'm going to go to learn English. I got the offer in Japan and we flew into the United States. And at the time there, I met Lambert, I met Dan, and, and we end up going, making an agreement so I can spend six months over there. From there on, I already had the idea because I proposed to guys there. You cannot create something in Japan and it called Brazilian top team. It would not be as successful if you call a Japanese top team. Or in America, if it was American top team, it would be more successful than Brazilian top team. And if this is any any other big place in the world. You know, marketing. People have pride in marketing. Yes. And people have pride in their in their flagship and their culture and in all this. And we know that generationally, in the future, we'll have more American fighters than Brazilian fighters. But when I move in, a bunch of guys came move in with me. You know, they see the opportunity to live in the United States with the structure and the fighting. And, and we knew it. That's, we're just starting, but 
they're a bunch of good guys, man, you know, and good coaches around. That's we knew that we were paid to to grow, you know. And that basic what it was, you know, in the beginning, a lot of high-level guys that nobody knew what it was. We have the structure, we have a talent, and we have we have good training. So we knew at that they were gonna be a hardcore training for you know for anyone. Anyone. But they came with anyone. some jealousy too, though. There was some of the other heads of states, you know, even Carlson and you at one point butted heads. Um, oh, you yes. know, there was some jealousy. 100%. Yeah, jealousy always going to be there. There's no anything that you do in life, Mike, anything that you, you're a leader on it, that you expose words or, or position, you're going to have conflict. There's only one spot, you know? You want to be the best. You, you, that's the aim, and you know a lot of people aim for the same goal, and and, and it is what it is. It's leadership. You know, the guy who is who's not okay to 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 deal with that can't be just the leader. It's like for me right now, guys, I don't want I don't want to do anything that is it take my peace away. That makes sense. I'm yeah. done with that. I'm really happy doing what I'm doing right now, and. Working at the University of Central Florida, installing academically classes, and and I am happy. But I, you know, like this, I I ain't my piece of the shit sandwich. You want to die? You know, that's part of the game. You gotta yeah. do what you gotta do. So that's it, yeah. and that's it. There is one championship. There's one basketball, whatever it is. And if you have the mind of the champion, you stop. You know, you fight for it. That's it. September 27, 2014, you cornered Yoel Romero at UFC 178. He fought Tim Kennedy. Yoel was winning. He was way ahead on the scorecards. And then in the last 10 seconds of round two, Tim catches him with the right hand where Yoel looked like he got saved by the bell. Do you remember what took place in between the rounds? I, I remember, I remember, I remember. The guys poured a lot of water in his in his head, and they were really actually drying up there, and they were speaking. But the guy was speaking English with the coach. I, actually, I was outside. I was not inside of that. Those guys are speaking Spanish. And they kept, well, even if they do this on purpose or not, but one of the one of the when the the official was talking to Paulino, the boxing coach, and yes, and talking to Paulino and Roberto, and they're speaking English with the guys. Those guys don't speak English, guys. I'm telling you this, they don't. So they for that they're pouring the water, whatever they did this on purpose or not on purpose. Or, but there is one thing they can't understand. You're talking to English with them. They believe me or not, they do not. I, I got to speak Spanish with them. At the time, I had to speak Spanish with those guys. And my Spanish sucks, but that's how I communicate with them. It wasn't in English. It was not in English. And I was outside of this thing here right now. You got to hurry up. You got to do this thing here right now. But, but I, it is what it is, you know. And I don't really think that this is really change the result of the fight, Mike. Honestly, I really don't think this is really what it what it really changed the you know because after that you come came back and, and knocked yeah. him out right it was something like that. Well, it, as a corner, yeah. and, and my my opinion as a corner, your job isn't the rules. 
Your job is to put your fighter in the best position. And whatever happens between A and B, it is what it is. That's on the organization. Uh, they should have taken no, a point. I don't think this way. No, I don't think this way. I, For me, I don't. I would not do this purposely. It's not my thing. You know, stall the position or really break it in. Now, if they did it as on purpose, it's just something that I'm telling you this right now, it was not simulated. It was not orchestrated or, or rehearsal before. If they did it because it's something cultural, something, yeah, I mean, maybe it may happen. I don't know, man. It's I was boxing. outside. It's I'm boxing not one. But it really, yeah, it may be, but it was not, it was not orchestrated at this point. Okay. If you do this, you're going to be happy there. It wasn't like this. But at the same time, Yoel will not lose that fight, man. I'm telling you this. Yoel, in a good mindset, he will be champion. I'm telling you guys this. He's a, he's, I'll tell you more than that. Mike, I have coached a lot of people. A lot of people. Yoel is the most athletic athlete that I've really actually coached in my life. I believe that. <laughs> I'm telling you this right now. Romero is the most athletic person that I ever coached in my life. That's insane. Most athletic. I'm telling you. Most athletic. And you can name it. Guys, I've been around and I have coached high-level guys. High-level guys. You know, you can name it. You know, Robbie Lawler, Tyrone Woodley, uh, Hector Lombard, um, whatever. You name it. You name it. I've been there. Jeff Mosen on this thing. Yoel is the most athletic human being that I ever, ever worked with. So I'm telling let you. Let me set the table. This gentleman comes from one of the strongest lineages in Brazilian fighting history, goes to the United States, trains some of the greatest athletes this country has ever produced, and Yoel Romero is number one. Yoel Romero is the most athletic human being that I work with. I'm telling you That's this. It was unfortunate that AJ was on his side. I just imagined this guy with 30 years old. Imagine him with 30 years old or 20-something years old. I'm telling you this. And also, he works hard. Um, he's not disciplined with time. But he works a lot. And one thing is curious. Let me tell you this. EOL did not spar. Spar. Sparring. Punching in the face. At all. For many camps. His conditioning. It's something out of this world. This world. His time for drilling. There's times that I was drilling with this guy for Four hours is training. You know what is drilling and training grappling for four hours? Four hours. Miguel, you've been around. Yeah. Four no, no, no. hours continuously training. I'm telling you, 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 man, you, you pass out of hunger. I'm telling you this right okay. now. This guy has a, has a desire to learn. He had a, he had a neck problem. He got this back surgery. And it's really, you can, if you see it, he has this big scar on the back. He couldn't spar much because he could get punched in the head so he can lose um, motions and things like that. And he, for many fights, many fights, he didn't spar at all. 
That's insane. He, he, he amp up in the conditioning, amp up in the drilling, amp up on the mitts and the movement, but a sparring, and just a sparring, no. It's unbelievable. This guy has the timing that he has. That's the punch, the, the accuracy that he has, the movement. It's something out of this world, man. I'm telling you, this is, is art. I'm telling you, it's art. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you opened the door, Robbie Lawler, Tyron Woodley. Uh, they fought UFC 201 July 30th, 2016. You had to organize two different completely separate camps out of the same gym for them. Mike, I wasn't there. I wasn't there. I already moved to Orlando at okay. the time. At the time, I was already in Orlando, so I did not see this at the time. I would. I trained Robbie when he fought against Johnny Hendricks. I trained Tyrone. Um, there was like, but one of those guys really competing against each other. I was moving to Orlando. What year was this? Was two thousand sixteen? 2016. I was already in Orlando living this, you know, university life. So I was already out of American Top Team. So I heard there was a lot of tension from there, you know, because of the camps. But I, I just said that there is one belt. There's only one belt. You know, there's only one belt. And and it's not that those guys were best friends in the world. I mean, those guys are, are you know, they're, they're teammates. But I don't think those guys are really tied up together. They're not a part of the same clique, just the same guys fighting over and over and over. It would be different than Colby Covington and Imaz Vidal. They're always tied together, you know. Robbie is doing his thing with a group of guys there. And, and Tyrone, who was doing his thing with his group of guys. And... It shouldn't be that major problem because it is what it is, you know? Yeah. It is what it is. 2015, you participated in The Ultimate Fighter. I think in one of the episodes, Glenn Robinson is furious, the Black Zillion owner. Essentially, it was American Top Team versus the Black Zillions. He's absolutely furious that his team is losing. There's two security guards on sets, and the teams were about to riot. In the middle of you celebrating, you stop, you talk to him. You say, Glenn, listen, you continue down this path, it's going to be very bad. There's going to be a fight between both sides. You had a way to lower the animosity in regards to his emotional outburst, but then you continue to celebrate with your team. How was your experience on The Ultimate Fighter? And I think that kind of showed the dynamic of your personality and ability to coach um, well, I think as I've been coaching for such a long time, not just coaching, and I would be a fan of fighting for such a long time. And those emotions that you see, there was a lot of emotion in fighting. I'm just saying this. I'm repeating what everybody knows. But when you're when you're in the opposite end, when you're losing it, it hurts so much. When you're winning is wonderful, and that's so I could say that that explosiveness of this this hype it's is divine, man. It's wonderful, but at the same time, there is in the end a balance. There's in the end there is the common sense, what is correct, what is right to do, you know, and 
you sell yourself to the hype of too much or to the lows of too much, it is not healthy in any shape or form. That if it makes sense is imagine a graphic that you have, which is you know, the hype of happiness and the, the lowest of, of a sadness right here. Right in the middle, there is a line of a peace. If you really want to be true, happy about everything, you look more for peace than the graphic. For sure. If that makes sense. Yes. That's it. That's what and, and then at one point when you start finding peace, which is common sense, and you can step up back of everything. It's almost like you're going to a party with everybody's dancing, but you're the only guy who's not drunk. You can see things. You know what I'm saying? And you can you can feel the peace. You can feel a little bit. You know, you wow. can feel the emotions. You can feel the emotions and everything else. It, for me, it was always like that. You know, I would never prompt to hate someone because they won or to despise someone you know, for, for, because they're rivals. I, I, it never was my take. It never was my take. Because I don't feel well with that. I don't think it's right. It's not, it's, it's not in my, it's not in my being. I'm not doing it. I, I don't, I didn't coach MMA to make people hate others. Although you know that it is a big tool to foment bravery in some of the fighters so some of the fights you gotta you gotta slap them in the face you gotta you gotta make them feel angry that they're taking out of you know the mouth of their kids or something like this the why the why they're doing this the why is very important for me i do it because i love the community at the time and i feel like i was good at it i was helping people i feel like i i, I belong in helping you know and i bring that mental stability too i always did I just wanted to jump in and ask you, is, do you think that's the reason why, you know, MMA was not your thing? Yeah, because there was a lot, like the once upon a time, everybody thought you were coming to do MMA and you were a prodigy got kind of name. But that sounds like we're right at the source here because... MMA guys, Brazilian guys, you got to tap emotion and, and and amp it up and stuff like that. Is was that the real turnoff for you? Maybe no. The turnoff for me on MMA was really with the fact that you got to sell your soul to to what is what is appealing to the crowds. Before that, MMA of Valetudo was seen by people that understand, not just understand, they, they understand not just the emotions, there is honor into it. There is honor on representing jiu-jitsu or representing the flag and representing the goodness of something that you have to wonder. Nowadays, it's like you do have to follow the blueprint of the company or the industry, and you got to talk bad about somebody else's mother, or you have to talk bad about the ability of the fighter and you have to but right now even the fighters in a certain way they know that they've got to pull out the gig of of creating tension you know creating friction yeah and like it or not mike and miguel i'm telling you this for for your podcast for example the difficult questions is what is going to bring attention to it is the friction i i understand that i i, I buy I, I understand this I see it. I've been in this game forever. 
But it's not my it's not my thing. My thing is not to install hate on anyone, man. My hate, my thing is not to hate anyone. My thing is get people healed. You know, there are so many fighters there. Are, believe me, there are so many fighters that are just only fighters because the only thing that they have in life is the fighting ability. But that translates into war. It translates into anger. It translates into hurt. You know, for me, it never was just like that. Like, and I, because I was not like this, man. I was never a hurt guy. I never, I, you know, and I have seen it a lot. And I actually the opposite. I think I, I have helped more people than I hurt people. You know, so I, this is what it was always my take on it. So not that I'm perfect at all, man. I'm not perfect. Fucking Nobody. No. Nobody no. is. But the hate never was my thing. I never, I would never capable to tell someone, man, go there and talk about that guy's daughter because this is going to create something that was going to make him more pay-per-views and, and you're making more money for the company or make more money for him. It, it would, I could never do this. I still can't do this. For me right now, my jiu-jitsu is so much. It's the martial arts. I can help people. I really can help people through the water we do it because it's such a paradox of a conflict. You, you, you can fight. You can defend yourself. You can kill someone, but you don't do it. You know, you don't do it because you choose not to. You choose for, you know, it's not because you're just prompt to, to defend yourself. You choose not to it because it's your self-control, your ability. There's so much into this. It seems like corny shit, but it's, it is not. And it's not corny because, because I have seen it the opposite. I have seen it. I have seen it the worst. I have dealt with the best of the best, guys. I know that. I have dealt with the best of the best, and sometimes the best is not the best. Sometimes it's because the worst is out of them, because they they understand the industry and they're capable to just say anything about anybody and and corrupt their morals, corrupt their feelings with the character. And and it's, it's not who I am. I can't be that. I mean, I it's not me. It's just not me. Makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Let, let's let's kind of bring back the training. You've actually rolled with Goker in the past. Yeah. I, <laughs> How would you describe that experience? <laughs> oh, Mikey, Mikey, you were something else, man. You got you got all the sick. Another thing, I don't remember when was this, but Goker shows up there with Alec Doktorov. And in the training, Carlson has Carlson used to teach at this boxing gym in LA, and we all went there. It was, probably was 97, 95, 96, something like this, you know. And we went, we went there, visit Carlson, and we were training there, me, Victor, and Carlos Barreto. And the guys came in to train with us. It was out of surprise, nobody knew it, they just came up and it would train. You know, and what happened that we don't kiss and tell me. You're not going to tell me that. I don't kiss and tell. That, it is what it is. It was good training. Let's put it this way. Okay. So not kissing and telling. You also had a private session with Hickson. You and Hickson both had to go in the gym too. Am I correct? No, I never. No, Mike, I never did. No, I never you did. You two never rolled? No, no, no. I never no, I never rolled with Hickson. Never did. Never did. And I don't think it would be, you know, nice or fair to go there. And, hey, 
you come over here, let's go do a training or roll something like this. Uh, it, it won't be, it won't be out of my character. I won't be out of my character. I will, I will not do this, especially with with things that people would say. It will, okay, it sounds like a challenge or something. Like and it's not, it's not me. And he was older. You know what I'm saying? So I, I get that. I had been told it. And he was older yeah. too. Yeah. No, I like he was older I, too. That's another thing. You're absolutely right that people forget about the respect of martial arts, that that's a big part of it. You know what I mean? And and you show that a lot. And I, I think that that's good for people to understand. So I thank you very much for that. But I yeah, want to clear that up. We have to go. But we've been told that you guys had a private session in California. No. Okay. No, never, never then. No, never, never. Go ahead. I, I got to ask you about I'll, another one I of those. You, I would tell you if you had it, I would tell you this. Well, I had it, but I, would, I will not tell the results or anything like that. But I didn't have okay. I never had That's it. That's fair. I never had it. How about uh, a littler guy, but he was in, in a different generation. But what do you think of Marcelo Garcia? I was going there next. Good move. <laughs> Marcelo Miguel is the GOAT. <laughs> Marcelo. Is the goat in so many ways, so many ways, guys. I saw introduced to two guys. There's three guys. Arona was a monster. Arona, Ricardo Arona, was an absolute beast. Very talented, hardworking guy that got a perfect mind for winning. He Arona is Arona. I'm telling you, this, there is one talent guy. Another talent guy that I saw that the people wouldn't believe it is art, art, art. This guy is, is painting. I always was a big fan on Let the Fighter Express. Why? Because a coach that goes, oh, this is wrong, this is right. You kind of kill the art of martial arts. Does that make sense? The guy has to be creative. The guy in a certain way you can point out, hey, watch out for this and watch out for that. But if you really stop the guy to being creative, you kill the art. You gotta let that guy be creative. Guys like Marcelo Garcia or Bruno Malfasini, that's another guy who weighs a hundred Miguel, I'm telling you this, I have seen this guy going to the high level of high level of jiu-jitsu guys and Bratzel, Bratzel, high level, 100, 200 pound guys, world champion. Malfasini yeah. is unbelievable. Marcelo is unbelievable. <laughs> People don't know this. Marcelo trained for MMA for quite a while. Marcelo used to get the champions, champions, guys, they're champions in, you know, in, in Japan, in, in America, champions, guys with belts. And he used to toy, guys, even in MMA. I'm telling you this. I'm not going to put names out there, but I'm telling you this right now. It was, what the fuck is hell? I can't believe that. I, there was times that he was going against those big guys, and he goes against the cage, and they, he could not take the guys down with just double leg. People defend well against the cage, you know, just put it there. He was pulling half guard and sweeping those guys and the guys could not stop it. You couldn't stop it. Against the cage, 
push against the cage. The guy would not be taken down against the cage. High-level wrestlers, Division One champions, high-level Division One champions. I'm telling you this. You couldn't stop to take down. Boop. Half guard, sweep the guy. Now he's on top, and now you imagine how to go. You know, magic. Marcelo makes magic happen. Wow. Things that you can't believe it. I'm telling this. Marcelo is really, it's, it's out of this world, man. He's out of, and his personality, it goes for me I, it, with, with everything, you know. It's like we're saying, imagine a guy that can, a, a guy can, that can kill you. The guy is just so good that can beat the crap out of you, but he doesn't do it. And he treats you as well. And he treats anyone very well. You know, is a human being and dedicated to family, dedicated to things. I, this is for me, it's one of the best examples of a martial artist can be. You know, it sounds corny because I come from MMA and you go from it. I have seen everything. I have seen the tough. I have seen the tough, tough guy that comes from the projects, comes from the favelas with all the the surviving skills and talking, talking tough, acting tough. You know. Murderers, I saw murderers. I, I've been coaching everybody, man. And he still goes there and somebody like Marcel chew him up. You know, that's, mm -hmm. it's just amazing. It's just, it's, 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 I don't know, man. It's, it's one of the key secret and weapons in the world. That imagine you have that weapon to destroy everything, but the guy decides to stay at home oh, and let's. Let's be it as it is. Let's, let's enjoy life. Let's be positive. That's Marcelo, man. Marcelo is amazing. That's what, my what take about, on Marcelo. You know? What about Jeff Manson? Jeff yeah. is Jeff. <laughs> Jeff is crazy. Jeff That's a is trick in question. Russia. <laughs> Jeff is in Russia right now. I am more American than Jeff is. I'm telling you this right now. I am way more American than Jeff is. I'm telling you this. Guys, I love this country so much. My family is American. My kids are American. I have such an appreciation for for this country. <laughs> and I and you see Jeff Moses there in Russia right now. Jeff is nuts. But what do we expect from Jeff? Jeff was always Jeff. Jeff was always different. He was always something different. You know, you learn how to love him as it is. But man, he is Jeff is Jeff. Miguel knows exactly what I'm talking about here. When he goes talking about Jeff. You know Jeff well, pretty well. Yes, let me ask you, though, how was it for you? Because Jeff also was one of the first top team guys where, as a Brazilian coach, you're coaching an American now. And then he fights Brazilian guys, and now you know the – like, you were – that was the first set of politics. It was really – Munson may have been the very first one. Yeah. No, but it, it was a little bit different. You know, Jaffe was one of our guys for the core. He really was one of Jaffe was one of their good friends. It's different, Miguel. It's different. It's like today that everybody knows this is professional, blah, blah, blah. But when you have somebody in your court and it's really one of your guys, really a friend of yours, it's a friend of yours. It's a real true friend of yours. Him and his family. That's, it's, it's your family, man. It's your guy right now. You know, it's just a friend. This is a little bit different. The know? Brazilians would speak out about you, and, and it kind of started with Monza. I, I, I want to see Chris Cyborg publicly stated 
like Liborio sold out to the Americans. Like he doesn't teach them to water down jujitsu. Like she really went after you because you taught people what they're supposed to learn. Like if it is, and I don't even know, but if it is, Mike, it, it is, it is what it is. Any leader in any industry from anything in any action you take it, believe me, if you make waves, you're gonna have people that are going to be against me. People me, surfing. People yeah, will be surfing. Yes, not just the professional side. And also, forget this. I always try to be less emotional. Well, not less emotional. That's to be seeing the things as as it is. You know, I'm not really. This is what's professional at the time. And nowadays, everybody sees the professionalism into the MMA itself. For me, was a lot of there was a lot of pride. There was a lot of honor in a positive way. But also, there is this thing about family, sticking with people that loves you. Jeff is, is one of the guys, man. Jeff is definitely Jeff, Mike Brown. Those guys are those guys are legit family. They're legit. They're our guys. That makes sense. Yeah, really, 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 really is. Those guys here will fight for me. I know they will fight for me as as I fought for them. You know, I was be around them. So it is what it is. This is number one, what I came to do it. But number two is the position of a, a leader in a certain way. It's not to please everyone. It's not to please. You got to do what you have to do it. You know, what you think is in your morals is right. You know? Jeff is the kind of guy that, I, man, if, if I call Jeff in a situation that I'm in, it, that guy will be there. That guy will be there for me. You know, Jeff was one of those guys. Jeff, he definitely was one of those guys. Jeff, I need you to come here at 3 o'clock in the morning, and we're going to fight a, a, a biker's bar. That's yeah. He will be there. I have no doubt. I can tell you this right now. That's well, Jeff most. That's Ricardo, the people that were mad or speaking out were never on your team. It was always the people on the other side. You know, it was, you know, the people that you you coached were always happy. And that's all you can do. That's just okay. Mike, Mike, I have seen, again, in position of leadership, you take hate. But you can even think of hate. People can't judge you. For some actions or things, if they don't know who you are, man. You know, sometimes I think people have this very honest opinion about someone and express themselves there as fiercely, you know, on the outside. But they don't know really the person. They don't know the core of the person. They don't know if this guy is doing much, much more good than bad. You know what I'm saying? Or, or maybe they really, real actually got caught up in some image that you think this guy's doing much better than than negative things, and and you go through that for the flow. So it, the opinion is very easy manipulating. You know this. That's media yeah, for sure. For sure. out there. Well, the daily basis for me is what it counts, and I don't take to the heart. Not, not much, you know. Not to, I just stay away from sort of media and good, positive, and but I just stayed away. This is for my, my sake, for my peace, for my happiness, man. This is for my peace. That's Miguel. That's it. You know, fuck it, peace, for sure. man. I, for me, I'm, my mission is is to try to create a 
positive environment around me and around the people and, and spread my you know spread things that I believe to, to what I do well which is martial arts you know maybe in a different way and I'm not I'm not just saying this Miguel knows me a little bit that's who I am man. you know it's just a little bit who I am you know but anyway that's it is what it is Mikey, it is what it is. People's going to hate you. It doesn't matter what it is. They're going to hate you because you have a white beard or because you're bald or because whatever it is there, they will hate you. It doesn't matter what you do. It's just genetics. You know, Miguel, that's where wired up. Before we close it out, Kimbo Slice, did he need bodyguards at the American Top Team? Because during training, some of the people were, were kind of keying on him. You know everything. Huh? <laughs> this guy knows everything. Mike, you are the detective. You are the MMA detective. Thank you. Man, oh, it was a mess. They want to jump on Kimo. They want to jump on Kimo. I'll tell you this right now. And I got to be in front of everybody, but all those monsters. Imagine this. I'm 5'8". Those guys are 6'5", six, 6'4", six, and I'm in the middle of those guys here right now to avoid them to, to go on Kimbo. Yeah, that was – you. how do you know this, man? <laughs> Holy moly. You guys are – no, yeah. You guys are well informed with this. You know, mm -hmm. I would get my ass kicked by two or three that wanted to get Kimbo, but I could not let that happen. You see Kimbo walking in the gym is like, oh, man, let's go get this guy. Come here. No, I did not let it happen. Oh my God, that was a big, that was a, that was a crazy day. I'm tell you this. So Miguel, I'm going to close it out. Do you have anything before I do that? I got, I got one more crazy day in the gym. That American Top Team craziness. Oh my God, Miguel. Were you there? Were you there the day Josh Barnett visited and and bumped heads with Hector Lombard? No, I wasn't there. No. Uh, okay. Okay. Are you sure? I don't think it was an ATT, Miguel. It was ATT. It was. Yeah. It was everywhere. It was with <laughs> Eric Paulson. It was ATT. It was in the UFC locker room. It was. It's been oh, wow. everywhere. Wow. Well, here. This is, Josh is a big guy. Were you <laughs> around Walid when he and Alex Davis fought? Were there three or four times that they fought on the street? No, but I heard about it. I was at the event. Okay. It was in one of the UFCs in Brazil. And I was at the event, but I didn't see it. I just find out this later. I think I was cutting weight for someone, something like that. Move. But I heard about it. Yeah. Okay. Alex, man. Alex is a courageous guy. He was there. He was. He did not let things slide. He really <laughs> He was there. He was Sorry. there with Valley. You know? So kind of crazy. We're going to anyway. close with there, – there's a couple people that I really respect in the grappling world, one of which is Wade Rome. Wade Rome is as solid of a person as you're going to get. This is, this is what he wrote online. Jeff Matson and myself were training for the Arnolds last year. Liborio showed up to actually roll with us in order to help. He racked up 17 submissions between Jeff and I uh, in, within about 20 minutes of training and said, you guys are too damn strong. I rarely get subbed, even in the practice room. So that is a solid testament, as well as how good Liborio is. <laughs> and this is an old nice. Liborio and a young Wade Rome. <laughs> Mike, tell 
you don't kiss and tell. This is I'm from the old days of this thing. A trainee is a trainee. You don't tell about training. That's what it is. You know, we're getting struck by this. You don't go from there. You know, well, I'm going to continue. Wade is Brady is really one of my guys. He's he's biased to say. You know, he really is. He's one of my one of my dear black belts and, and dear friends too. He's amazing. Jeff Monson, while training for the ADC, said he could not roll with you too close to his competitions because it would destroy his mind going into the competitive atmosphere that yeah. grappling brings along with it. <laughs> Any comment on that? Oh, oh, Jeff is a monster. Jeff, 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 it was really one of the best competitors I ever met. Jeff Monson loved competition more than anything. I think that Jeff, until today, if he was not competing, he would be involved in some crazy shit that was going to be deteriorate, deteriorate your life. You know what I'm saying? That Jeff, Jeff is this kind of guy that he, where he got the competition, or he's going to find out some crazy things to do in his life that's going to end up in, in, a, in a, you know, a book. Jeff, Jeff is the kind of character that will be in a book that people, you're not going to believe in 50% of what is written over there. Yeah. No, no, no. This is not. He did this? No, no. This is not possible. That's Jeff. That's Jeff Monson. You subtract jujitsu and wrestling and fighting from Jeff Monson's life. He's, do, he, he's in prison doing a very, very long extended sentence. Oh, you're right. You're right about this. Something crazy will happen. Bro. Yeah. I'm telling you, dude, Miguel knows what I'm talking about. Jeff is kind of character that you would read on books. Some guys like you, I can't believe that this guy did this or did that. And that's Jeff most. Jeff yeah. is Jeff. We just have to say, Jeff is Jeff. <laughs> did, did, did you, while, while I went out, did you talk about the ADCC match with Sperry? You know, we didn't talk about that. We also didn't talk about Ricardo Arona. In, in 2001, I think we should probably save that. Um, okay. Yeah, you know, and here's a little back. teaser for Ricardo Arona. Ricardo Arona almost quit jujitsu in 2001 after a training session with this gentleman. And that's not Ricardo kissing and telling. That's Ricardo Arona publicly stating that. Arona is an easy thing because Arona, they're like those guys too. Those guys were my students, guys. Do you understand this? The mm -hmm. fact that that I trained some of the guys, I knew what they were doing it, you know, and and it is easier for me to defend or to apply things like that. You know, they probably they probably I thought a lot of what they know, but they did not know exactly what I know. That makes sense? That's making it easier for me. That's almost cheating in a way. But here, that we're going to close with this. Parampina. Well, I was waiting till every... Wait, here. I was at Carlson School since 1987, and I saw many, many good guys arrive there and tap like white belts to Liborio. I won't say names because it wouldn't be cool, but I can guarantee to all of you, he tapped everybody at Carlson's. World champions, Abu Dhabi champions, MMA veterans, all of them preparing for their tournaments, which means that they were in shape. The funny part is is the fact that like Liborio keeps off training for like two or three months and then shows up and kicks everybody's ass just like that. Liborio, you're an absolute gentleman. We sincerely appreciate you taking your time with us.
Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Miguel. I appreciate you guys a lot. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing for the industry, you know, for martial arts, MMA, grappling, jiu-jitsu, from, from all of us. For me, is one thing. I really, all the accolades, all the trainees, you can actually be as good as you can be. In a, the human, you know, the qualities of the person, I think, is more important than actually the accolades. Accolades will go away. It fades away. The landscape changes so fast. For me, is like I want to be remember, remember as a as a good guy that, that helps a lot of the industry to grow, you know, and influence people positive in, in a positive way. You know, it was always my goal in mind, you know. And, and one of the, the the meat factories started coming in, and and the industry started really producing things that that you can bring it in and chew it up and put it out. It, it was a little bit more difficult for me because it's not. It's not exactly what I wanted to do in my life. You know what I'm saying? But I really truly appreciate what you guys are doing. And not just to bring memory from old guys like me, but you, you listen to all the parts. You listen to all the parts. You listen to the tough guy. You listen to the guy who's winning, the guy who lost, the guy who's doing this. But you, you, you're building, you know, the industry. That this is, this is very, very important, you know? But Murillo you know? Bustamante, is he in Brazil or is he in the United States? He's in Brazil. But he speaks ah, English, though. That was my hero growing up, man. I'm not even going to lie. I was a Marillo Bustamante uh, mark. <laughs> anyway. He's, you guys should have bring him in, you know, for a conversation like that. I can't say that. We would bring you. you in with that if you were up for it. Oh, yeah. He is my brother. He is, truly is my brother. He's a tremendous human being. Anyway, guys, again, thank you. Thank you. You guys are awesome. Always an honor to catch up, sir. Thank you. Michael. The Lights Out Podcast now has Ricardo Laborio in the books. That's a good get. Oh, for sure, for sure. You know, it was good to catch up with him. Uh, he is who he is, which is cream of, you know, elite of the elite, really. And uh, we get, you know, I, I knew him a little bit. You had him really well scouted and stuff. And I think we got a nice, loose, comfortable version of him. Um, you know, for people that don't know him, the humility that comes across there, it's not false humility. It's not that, like, oh, don't say Dude. that. I'm not that good, you know. It's not like that. He genuinely is not comfortable with that kind of talk. He's not really that built that way. You can see it. I hope you can see a little bit of the way he's wired because you can tell why he's a genius at something, you know, at, at, uh, by talking to him. He's an impressive dude. Yeah. Well, Carlson Gracie said it was his number one student. Carlson Gracie went on record on more than one occasion stating that this is the number one grappler in the world. So if Carlson Gracie says it, I got to believe it. But let's get a couple of plugs out of the way. Um, Liborio is actually going to be in, uh, inducted into the Florida Mixed Martial Arts Hall of Fame this year. Actually, I think it's I think it's in November. Ralph Garcia is in charge of it. Um they nominate 10 people every single year. I was at it two years ago. Absolutely phenomenal experience. Highly recommended. Let's let's talk about some of the posters, Miguel, on our YouTube. Scott Y. Dude, this guy's been chewing through all of our interviews, man. He's been commenting on anything. Greatly appreciated. DeVry's Town, Vegan Higgler, you guys really make it happen. Yeah, you, Thank you. you got Crowbar, you know. Gosh, uh, Gage. Yeah, Josh Gage. It's, just, it's, it's starting to get to be a lot of them. And, you know, we try to interact out there. One thing for the people out there to know, 
Lights Out Podcast, Lights Out Clips. We got two sign-ons. Mike could be on either one. I could be on either one. So you might be talking to me. You might be talking to Mike. You're probably not talking to Chris. Like a lot of people get excited. Hey, Chris, probably not going to talk to Chris out there on the comments, but me and Mike do do our homework and work on giving you personal responses every time. And uh, somebody said that they appreciate that. And uh, it's two of us are working on it. We enjoy that. That's the best part, yeah. really, it's some, yeah. some, in sure. some ways. So, you know, see if you can figure out who you're talking to, whether it's me right. or Mike. I'll, I'll let you know when it's me. He'll let you know when it's him. But you may not know. <laughs> so, Miguel, with uh, Liborio, we didn't really get into his grappling career too much. It's almost like, like you said, it's not a false humility in regards to him talking about tapping people out and stuff like that. He really worked hard to avoid his accolades. And, you know, part of that is like in the year 2000. In essence, in 2000, I think he takes third in ADCC, gets his finger broken in the first round, and um, leaves for Japan. And in Japan, him and Carlson butt heads. And as you guys have heard in our Tiago Alves interview, um, a couple other ones, our Conan Silvera, um, we talked about a meeting between Carlson and Liborio at the Hammond Civic Center where they just clashed. And, you know, from what I gather, that's kind of where they made amends and they made up. And we're going to get to that in our next Liborio interview. That, that I can promise. He and I chatted briefly about it offline, and he's agreed to come back on at a future date. And he says there's nothing, you know, that, that he's going to hide from us. Um, helping with this interview, Ralph Garcia. We've talked about him already. In the, um, Carlos Diaz. When I sent Carlos Diaz my notes, and he just – he didn't even respond. He just called me up and he goes, oh, dude, this is going to be a good one. He's like, I can't wait. So, you know, we get little people checking our homework. And it, it helps us out. For sure, for sure. We, we you know – Love it when the guys are putting out comments and, you know, sending suggestions and stuff. We take them all to heart. At this point, we're still small. Take advantage of it while we're still here, you know. We may never get big, but we may die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, guys, Miguel, that, that's that's right. You can interact with us prior to us dying. Thank you, Miguel. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, you know, I mean, take advantage of while you can. Make fun of yeah. Mike. All right. Anyway, so- uh, Let's talk about plugging. All right, dude, ladies and gentlemen. Well, there's no women that listen to this podcast. That's a lie. Dudes, this is what's going on. I used to be able to post on Reddit. I threw a couple of our clips up there. I got banned from it. And then a few weeks later, within a week, I should say, MMA Weekly's got articles in regards to what I was posting, just kind of like their little spin on it. And it was like, you know, history. So it was like, it kind of made me think that maybe the people that, Work for MMA Weekly might be mods on MixedMartialArts.com or whatever. I can't post there. All of our views, most of which come from Reddit. If you guys could please help spread the word. Um, yeah, I hate to like be a guy with a cup out begging for change, but it really helps us out. Um, and Miguel, we also got a tip the other day. I got a dollar from a guy. And in his note, he said, thank you so much. You know, I can sit here and say, oh, it's a dollar, it's a dollar. Dude, let me tell you something, man. Guy went out of his way, sent me a buck. It meant the world to me. It meant that somebody was listening and helped him with his day. You know, he says he's got like a two-hour drive to work. And, um, you know, he enjoys our podcast. Oh, yeah, so yeah, it meant the world to me. On the I mean, we don't get a lot of that stuff at all, right? But, like, if somebody sends us, say, 100 bucks, fantastic, right? But, you know, 
a hundred bucks has that feel of like a hey, a one time like hey, great job guy. A dollar, it's something you know. And I I really hate to sound like a cheesy YouTube dick, you know. But a dollar, it's like you can do every month. You know what I mean? It's if like fifty people did it every month, it might make a difference. I might be able to have a background, or you might be able to hear or lighting, <laughs> or lighting may go. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, all kinds of little things. So, at any rate, we're looking to improve, but um, we know we can hang our hats on on the content. So that's you know we charge forward with that uh, until. Hey, Miguel, you're kicking ass lately, dude. You too, MMA <laughs> detective. I'm proud of you. We've had a lot not. of eclectic, not you know, we've had a lot of guests l lately that it's not just go by, go through their sure dog record. You had to really do some diving into some some, you know, some phone calls, some scouting and yeah. stuff like that, and it shows in the interviews, dude. You, you deserve a lot of credit. On top of that, you know, here's the other part: he's done all that without neglecting his newborn. I wouldn't ask that to my wife, but that's possible. You no, know, I'm, I'm I'm encouraging more. To, I mean, you should neglect her a little bit, just a little bit. You know, we need more time. MMA history is in the balance, my friend. The kid, you know, she's not she's not learning anything yet. She's not making memories. All right, so Miguel, um, you've been putting together like these little one minute clips that we put on our stories, and it's actually helped us grow. It's for sure helped us. And you've been busting your ass on it, you and the editor. You guys have been doing awesome, dude. Um, it's it's helped us grow. You can see it. You know, we used to do clips. We did for the first year. We did a lot of clips in the clips channels out there. There's over a thousand of them out there. Some, you know, they range from three to five to ten minutes. Some of them, and they're all great stories and stuff. Um, you know, well worth checking out. But these one minute clips, I think, really grab people. You know, because the, you can't get the full story. So it's like, yeah, uh, 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 yeah what, what's next? You know. And yeah. uh, it's it's fun pinpointing a minute. It, it's hard sometimes trying to find a minute where, you know, I'm not talking and Mike's not talking, you know, trying to get the fighter in as much as possible. But uh, definitely you can look out for more clips. There's going to be a lot more of that. Yeah, dude, and, great job. So every other Thursday we do like you know, a From the Vault release. And we're getting like a lot of our old interviews out of the way. Um, on Thursdays, every other one, so it's like six interviews a month, we're going to – Really trying to hammer down on these jujitsu guys, as well as maybe some BKFC interviews as well. BKFC deep dive, jujitsu deep dive. Um, it's going to be kind of little oddball interviews, you know, wrestling too, you know, depending on the subject matter. Um, so every other Thursday, look out. We're going to do something kind of unique once we get through our, our back catalog. And uh, so if you're still listening at this point, I might as, we might as well give you a little something. This Thursday on November 3rd, the next one that's being released it's an older interview, but you probably haven't heard it uh, with Danny Boy Bennett. You know, you got to be a real hardcore fan to remember Danny Boy, but Danny had uh, a few of the most spectacular knockouts from the early days in Super Brawl, and uh, he's a kickboxer by trade. So he, you know, did a drive-by on MMA, and that's why he's uh, one of the guys on the Vault series. But uh, definitely uh, one for the hardcores here coming up Thursday, and we'll see what else. We get and then, there. But Mike, what we got is a Monday release. Laborio is in the books. That's right. Awesome. All right, brother. Love you, Miguel. Check out the full interview on iTunes, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms.